0: Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. All right, so we, we normally just go at this with no topic and, and no thought process whatsoever, but every once in a great while, somebody throws us something. And uh, today, we, I, think, I think we get to be really excited And, and, uh, Sean, I already shared with him, but, and I I think he, he gets to be really
1: excited too, but yeah, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm very, (laughs) I'm very tickled about this topic. It'll be great.
0: (laughs) We've talked about making t-shirts out of this topic before. Yes.
1: And I, and I tried, but Teespring just would not work for me. So.
0: All right. Looks like we're going to have to find some place to, to get some t-shirts made. Yeah. Um, all right. So we got, we got a request. Um, on, on Twitter. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, on, is it pronounced X or is it?
1: Z? I just call it Twitter. Like you'll Twitter. never make me yeah. stop. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> All right. So we got a, we got a request on Twitter it's and from Andy Jones and he says, lazy topic request for a future episode. I think he's calling us lazy. I'd he's love to hear. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I'd love to hear you talk about Little's Law and how it relates to scaling big systems. I mean, I could go and study it and watch YouTube videos about <laughs> it, but I'm lazy, and also think it would be a great topic. Um, I got excited. Said mm-hmm. we thought you'd never ask, and he yeah. said I knew you were the right people to ask, and and then I reminded him that Little's Law is my favorite law. It is it the is, law
1: it's the law, that's the <laughs> shirt, right? We should start with like what it actually says, right okay, okay so so that's a real simple
0: formula, right? I like to just use nebulous stuff like things the things, things. in a system is is it's only three variables, right yeah three it, variables yeah the the things in a system at any point. The average, really. It's a law of averages. Yes. It's averages. It's, okay, so let's yeah. talk about We'll average, come back to the averages. Yeah.
1: say, hey, Let's go with the, the f- basic yeah. formula first. The,
0: the, the things in a system equal lambda W. <laughs> 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 okay, okay for, okay. for real. The things in the system are equal to their average arrival rate, okay, times the amount of time that they the things spend in the system. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, I I, want to get one thing out of the way because this I messed up and I've watched other people mess it up a bunch of times. Rate, and and I know what this means. I took enough physics Mm -hmm. in my life to know what rate means and I know what the rate of my vehicle is. And for some reason, when I first looked at this, I thought it was time. No, it's the inverse of time. Right. Hertz. (laughs) Basically. Right. <laughs> yeah. so so, how I've explained this before is, okay, so the things in the system, the average things in the system, like if you want to know how many miles you went, right, mm-hmm. you take your miles per hour, that's your rate mm-hmm. times the hours that you were there, so that you yep. can cross out the hours right, you mm-hmm. eliminate your hours, and you're left with just your miles, just your miles yep. and so we want we want requests. Uh, this is just one way to use it. Requests that are in a queue waiting mm-hmm. or being acted upon, they can be being acted upon at the same time, is the average rate at which those requests come in. So if you have like, you hear requests per second, right? Five requests a second, which is really tiny, times how long that something sits in that system.
1: Which on average? Be,
0: on average. Yeah. That's fair. Fair. Average. <laughs> so so um yeah I'll stop I'll stop there.
1: yeah, so just just to to complete the the computation there if that if that you're getting five requests a second on average, and if the requests you get take an average of ten seconds, maybe this is like a big number crunching operation or something. I don't know uh if they have on average take ten seconds, then on average you will have fifty of them. Waiting or in progress, depending on how you measure that. Right. In the system. So, really simple calculation where I think it gets neat. So, first of all, we mentioned we were talking to talk about averages. Um, they're very explicit in the definition of this that these are long term averages. So, not over a short period, not in a bursty situation. You want to look at like the aggregate. Information about your system to determine these numbers, but I think where it gets really interesting is is um, using it as a rule of thumb to determine your capacity. It also has implications in you know what's what's your strategy for limiting work mm-hmm. in the system. There's a pretty compelling case for and. Uh, an excellent talk, which you should go watch if you want to continue to be lazy. We'll we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, <laughs> oh, you you better write the show notes then. <laughs> okay, I will. Uh, well, there's a talk by John Moore, former boss of mine, but uh, it's about. It's called "Stop Rate Limiting,"
0: oh, um, and it's from
1: Netflix Strangely. Guy. No, he's he's not at Netflix.
0: Was he? Was he when he gave that talk? Though, was no. It? I think he was still uh, at Comcast.
1: Okay. Anyway, the idea is: let's say you decided that you know you're trying to protect your system from uh, getting overloaded, which is a common thing we want to do when we've got you know high scale systems, because when you go into overload, all all hell breaks loose. But so you say, okay, let's 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 put a, some kind of like I don't know API gateway with a rate limiter in it. Well, so what you're talking about, if, you, if you're if you just doing, I can handle X requests per second. That's my, like my peak. What you're limiting there is the lambda. Okay. So, so you're saying I'm going to set that, um, you know, the the rate at which things arrive, the maximum rate at which things arrive, the lambda, right? Um, I'm going to set that to a specific number. Now, what that ignores is, what if a single request takes a really long time? Mm -hmm. Or a set of requests take a really long time, and you've set that rate limit at a particular level? Well, now you don't have, and you know, your, your rate keeps coming at that level, your, if those things get long, your number of things in the system is going to grow, right? So this is that inverse relationship that you get out of that that product. So, or it's not inverse, it's, it's actually a direct in this case, but anyway. Um, so your rate limit is the ratio of how many things are in the system to how fast you can process them. If you're fixing that, then you have to, have that ratio be be constant, otherwise you are you're going to blow up so the idea is if something takes a long time because some other part of your system is going slow, then the rate limit is going to not help you because you're just going to grow the queue of things that are happening or you're going to start dropping things. so his argument in that talk was before previous talks he's given um, on the topic was don't limit the rate limit the depth of the queue or the number of requests in flight at, at one time. Mm-hmm. So this lets your, your rate vary. So this flips it so that you're, you're doing the thing on the left side of the equation, which is like usually L or N, depending on how, how you write it. Right, which um, is the, num- the number
0: of things waiting right. or in the, within the system, not necessarily within the system.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that that's, this is a reasonable way to go because if you think about how our computers are put together, you have a limited amount of concurrency on on each on each system, including in er, in Erlang and Elixir. Um you know, we we can say, oh yeah, we have unlimited concurrency, but really you only have some multiple of CPU threads going that's at the same
0: a, time. Yeah, that's the same statement as like, if you're in the cloud, you have unlimited scalability.
1: <laughs> True. Well, you have unlimited scale, or you just don't know what the limit is, actually. Yeah, it's yeah, like whatever.
0: Point. I've seen the limit. I found it. Yeah. If you ever work on software that processes all voters in the United States in one mm-hmm. day, you will see that limit.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it is limited by your pocketbook, too. Uh, we have to take that in consideration, mm-hmm. or at least your 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 employer's know, oh, absolutely bank account. So, so the the idea there being, you know, you can you can figure out what a reasonable level of concurrency or queue depth or whatever you want to consider that left hand side of the equation to be, and then uh, if something takes longer, then you you signal to the things sending you stuff to back off.
0: Like there are lots of ways to to handle this, and like the things that you have control over is can be limited, but it could be. This is what got me too at first was that that average time in the system includes Mm -hmm. the time waiting. Yep. So even though we're limited on our parallelization, if we can add parallelization, we effectively shrink the wait time. Because we can have more things actually in flight instead of just standing in the waiting room, it's like a Beetlejuice where they're sitting in the waiting room. <laughs> and he's got that giant number, right? Yes, yeah, so it's not so bad. Or like if you, somebody recently brought this up. I think it was Brian Paxton, but like if you're standing in line at a theater, right, and they only have one line open, mm-hmm. and the person at the front is being painful, everybody is sitting there behind it. And one of the ways to fix it, right, is to to set another queue like another person comes out and starts another line and everybody moves over or like a lot of retail stores have they might have a customer service desk and that's where you send the painful customers that are going to take forever so you Mm -hmm. have a slow line and a fast line yep and so that's one way that when you when you're recognizing this you can you can set it up is to say you know what if i know ahead of time what the slow requests are going to be we're going to put them somewhere else on their own Mm-hmm. and then it just sucks to be you if you're not like <laughs> <line. laughs> And But we'll keep our, our main throughput really fast, keep our L down, keep our average time in the queue down, and that way our arrival rate to that queue can stay high while the mm-hmm. other one, hopefully the arrival rate to your slow queue can remain low.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think uh, one of the, most practical applications i've seen of little's law was presented by our friend jeff Utter um and a friend of the show and uh, local kce topeka, topeka, topeka man topeka man yeah topeka <laughs> man but uh so he he had a problem where he he's running a phoenix Ecto app, right mm-hmm. like so many of us do um and his app was logging a lot of Ecto connection timeouts, right? Um, and so he's like, well, how, how do, you know, I have plenty of capacity in my database. How do how do I fix this? So uh, the way he decided to fix it was he measured what was the arrival rate of his database requests. So like how often were they being, did uh, requests being made to the database? and he measured uh how long did they wait so the combination of how long did they wait in ecto's queue with how long the the request took and so you know and he just gathered this from system metrics that they were already recording um in their monitoring systems and you take those two averages and you multiply them together and you get here's how big my sh- connection Cool, should be, and so what? What's nice about that for for him was, you know, at the steady state, it's probably going to be fine. If you have a burst of traffic, well, sometimes things will slow down, you know, or have to wait longer. But there also be lulls where most of the connections are not used, but it averages out to be like, I mean, he maybe have added one. Above the average, I don't know, uh, just to have the extra capacity. But like, I think that's a that's a practical way you can think about what would I apply Little's Law to in my system. Easy one: ecto connection pool. How yeah, big do you need it? So one one question about that you mentioned, like what
0: he looked at. Mm-hmm. How do you figure out a rival rate in your system? Is another like question that I when I first started learning about this, which is. I think your your old boss, the mm-hmm. that you said mentioned John. Yeah, John. Yeah, he was the second person I ever heard Little's Law from, and it was during that talk. Uh, I was sitting in the back, and uh, John Hughes was sitting in front of me, so mm-hmm. that was really cool. But so that was the yeah the second time. I had ever heard of that. I think it was John Hughes in front of me. Anyway, doesn't matter. Somebody, somebody be a nice person. Have in front of you. (laughs) Somebody way famous was in front of me, and I, I didn't understand like measuring a rivalry. Again, I was worried about like speed and things like that. I was like, okay, how do I tell? And this is where like the telemetry of metrics come in, Mm -hmm. and Elixir make it really nice. Is you know, let's let's. I'm going to use Phoenix. Because you don't even have to set up your own metrics. They're already right. there. Right? They're there. So you have a count of like Phoenix start events. I forget the actual event name. And you just let it count. Mm-hmm. And then you go in at the end of the week and you say, okay, how many did I have for the whole week? And you can divide that up by whatever time slice you want. Probably seconds. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know. Depends on, on your, the way you're timing things in your system. But then you can use those same events and use the stop event and get the duration off of it Yep, and take the average of that across that whole week. And now you have your average arrival rate and your average time that they're in the system and you get your total in the queue on the way out. Yep. And and the crazy thing is, is that What happens when you have two queues in a row? Because we have this all the time. We have one process, has a queue, has stuff coming in, Mm -hmm. and it sends something out to another process to get some information from it. And Littles Law works across the entire system. Or you can make two Littles Laws, two little Littles Mm -hmm. Laws. (laughs) Littler Laws. Littler Laws (laughs) on each of those subsystems. And if you add... You'll find out that like if you add them to as add yeah, I think you right. add them together, you end up with the the answer
1: of the bigger system, so it's like little's laws all the way down yep yeah, and i I think um you know if if you're running I can attest to to specifically to Prometheus and Prometheus style systems, you can already get this information just off of your counter and your duration for each request, and you could look at it at any time scale, honestly. Um, because if you compute the rate the sum of the rates actually, you probably have multiple machines recording this. Um, so if you do the sum of the rates over the over the count, you get the arrival rate and if you do the the um you do the histogram thing, what is it if you do the p it wouldn't be the p fifty it would be like the average over the histogram for your durations. Um. So, yeah, that's uh that's and and you can you can look at it over time too, like what what is my capacity at peak time versus what my my capacity at off time in terms of the traffic for the day. Anyway, the, those are all like from my perspective, that's a really useful application of Little's law. Like how much capacity do I need?
0: Right? Well, and I use it on where do I add capacity in my system? How we just mm-hmm. talked about like a, the, the whole system applies to Little's Law, but then the individual subsystems right. do too. So if you, have, if you have one part that calls out to seven or eight others, you can apply Little's Law to each one of those and find out which one has the biggest cue, which one mm-hmm. is going to have the biggest impact. Cause you may say, oh, I can, I can speed up this portion without looking at these numbers. And you might make that blazing fast, but it may make no difference to the overall wait time of your system. Mm-hmm. So using little's law to actually like walk through and each of those subsystems get their own then you can say, "Oh this is the one I need to concentrate on and then if it reaches out to more cues then you can you can look at each one of those individually until you find out where the biggest impact is and if you bring that to your to your project lead, and you're like, mm-hmm. "Hey, here's where we need to be, and here's why." You're probably going to get promoted. That's all. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, stick that feather in your cap right away. That's right. it got
0: to use science. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and that's that's why you know that's one of those things that I, I wish I had learned earlier in my career, and and it's it, bringing the engineering into software engineering, right? Like you, you need to think about. About measurement and cost, and uh, use that to make informed decisions. The what was I going to say? I, you said in the last sentence or two, you said Q is a lot, but like, mm-hmm. what if I'm an elixir programmer? Like, I don't use the queue data structure, that weird Erlang <laughs> thing. <laughs> I'm not. What are you talking Kafka. about? I don't have any. I don't have Kafka. I don't have RabbitMQ. They what are you talking no about? Thinking Kafka.
0: Um. Yeah. So, uh, if you have a process. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're using Phoenix, right, you have lots of processes and you have a web queue and everything else. And even if you have a proxy in front of it, it might have a queue stacking up inside of the proxy in front of your application. So there, there are queues all the way down. But then the individual gen servers, each one has a mailbox, which mm-hmm. is a queue, right? Mm-hmm. I and mean, really, if your queue link has a max of one, you still have the same problem. You just end up breaking real fast. Mm-hmm. Right. Or kicking people out, which actually kicking people out. I'm, I'm going to bring this up. That is an actual really great way to limit what's in your system is taking people who are being worked on or not being worked on, sorry, and just dropping them out of the system, mm-hmm. letting them re-request. Chances are that will keep your system running, which is actually the key to long-term <laughs> throughput, right? Yep. You can say, I want to build up my queue and, and allow more people to stack up. But if you start using this equation, you'll see that that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And, and it actually makes things worse because all you've done is raise the average time in the system because you have more people sitting in the queue longer. Right? And ultimately, your system will end up running out of queue space and you're done. You'll yep. crash. And contrary to popular Elixir and Erlang belief, crashing is not always the solution <laughs> to the problem.
1: Yeah, and I, so so it's also important to say that there are some cases where you would want to drop the things that are already in the queue being worked on. So if if you get something in that's like, this is an update to a thing that I'm already working on, you might drop the old thing. Or yeah. this is going to supersede that Um but if we're talking about like web requests, yeah, you want to probably want to drop when you're, when you're at capacity, I'm not going to say queue again, oops. Um, <laughs> when you're at capacity, you probably want to drop new things rather than old things. There's also not related to Little's Law, but there's, there's been talks by folks from Google as, as well as, you know, our, our buddy Chris Keithley's talked about it, but sometimes you just want to drop things that are never going to complete before a reasonable time. Um, that's another way to cut down on the things in progress.
0: I, I want to jump in and just so we say drop, right? Yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean throw it all away and say goodbye. Drop could be, you know, what this is taking too long. Here's a cached value. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna give you a good enough answer. Like fail fast is probably or yeah, yeah or give it yeah. give an approximate it, it can be drop. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a fantastic way on a web request because most things will re-request in a second and hopefully hopefully it calms down. Mm-hmm. And so you can just give them uh hey, try again. Hopefully.
1: Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I hope, I don't know what else we can talk about with Little's Law. I hope we have covered what well, our so, listener asked for.
0: But. So he said in software engineering, and we've talked about software itself. Mm-hmm. But, but I think there's, there's a, a thing outside of the actual software itself, but it's how, how we work. And most of us work on some sort of ticketing system, and maybe even in Kanban. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are cues, also. <laughs> yes, they are. And we can f- look at the same things in Little's Law against compound. It's used in manufacturing because of that, right? And and we can find bottlenecks by looking at the overall systems, Little's Law, or the individual columns if we're using Kanban board and mm-hmm. their littler laws. I like that you coined that (laughs) now the itty bitty laws (laughs) and and the littlest laws um and and as a if you're managing a project that can take you into that you know your uh john had talked about you know do parallelization Mm -hmm. and, and that could be better and maybe that's where you're like hey we really might fix this by adding another person Mm-hmm. depending on where it's stopping in your in your whole process of deploying software you may not but it that little's law might give you a little more insight into ways to solve the the people issue the the process issue completely outside of just guessing hey hey we're we're going slow we better hire five more people mm-hmm. maybe you find out that that's not the part of your system that's going to fix it or maybe you're like, we need to hire five more engineers, but what you really needed to hire was five more analysts or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So helps you helps you find where those bottlenecks actually are.
1: Yeah, and I think that's that's a good tool because you know our, we have so many things in software project management that are kind of snake oil, and and like. You know, I've tried estimation a good half dozen times on, on tasks. And, you know, I know you've told me in the past and maybe, maybe you'll recount for our users, but (laughs) like where you just ruthlessly break down tasks until they were one point. But like before we get to that, like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) if you don't want to give any, you know, t-shirt size or point value to a task, just write something that's reasonable and measure how long each one of them takes to get through the system and average it and see what your capacity is. And then try to and then try to get try to get your tasks so that they like approach the average. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm and what
0: and then you can figure out what ways can we solve this are there ways that we can make mm-hmm. our tasks take less time and lower mm-hmm. our average or do we need less tasks in our system or do we need more people to produce get through those faster yeah yeah mm-hmm. oh, it opens up a whole world of thought but then you have numbers behind it
1: right and and, and not and just like fake numbers that people made up because they they felt right. good
0: yeah <laughs> uh okay Stories, story sizes. Story there. time. Okay, I feel like. So I have never, and I've had people tell me, oh, I'm really good at estimating. Look, let me show you. And I look through their their history of their estimations versus what they get done, and nobody's good at it. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go out on I I don't like to say never, ever, always. Um, if I do, it's usually a mistake uh, because I don't really mean always or never. Nobody is ever good at estimation, period, when it comes to software. If you are, it's because you're building the same thing that's been built and you're building cookie cutters. Mm-hmm. There are, I know people who build homes, that they go into a neighborhood and they build 10 homes that are exactly the same. And by the time they're done with four of them, they can tell you to the day when they're going to be done or really close to it. Mm-hmm. And they will be like, I need the plumber here on the second Tuesday because on Wednesday we have the electrician here and and they know they have it all planned out. But that's not the reality whenever you're building custom things, right? Custom homes, custom software, anything. So I have found what works really well for me and gets a very predictable flow through the system, through getting something from idea to to in the software, is I count acceptance criteria. Hmm. And that's the size of a ticket. And I split tickets up to one and only one acceptance criteria. And what that does is it allows, first of all, as as a developer, I can focus in on what that one acceptance criteria is. And if I run into something that is a different, another acceptance criteria that I realized that we never captured, I just add that back into the queue somewhere Mm -hmm. and maybe in the like planning before planning or whatever. But I just throw that back and I continue on where I am.
1: So that Um, handles the whole like unexpected scope creep problem.
0: Right and it gives a chance for the team the business the users everybody involved to say you know what that one thing we don't care about or we do and and decide where it goes in the priority so that's mm-hmm. like another added benefit i think but the qa <laughs> they love it usually even if it's like other developers doing qa because mm-hmm. they can focus in on that one acceptance criteria Right. It's, it's, there's nothing nebulous about it. They know exactly what it is. And it gives them a chance to sit back and think about how can I explore the edges of this? What are the weird things that somebody probably didn't deal with in this? Mm-hmm. And in a small, focused way. And they're far more likely to find issues in my experience. But also over time, I've taken those projects that I've done that with. And we graph how long tickets take over time, and they're oh now I'm blanking on what it's called. Their variation from the average, what's that called? Uh, no, the, standard deviation. The standard deviation, yeah. The standard deviation becomes quite low. You do end up with tickets that are outliers, or like the first mm-hmm. ticket of a larger new feature usually takes a little longer because there's plumbing to set up. But on average, you don't care. Like it comes out in the wash. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's, that's the way I've gone about it. And if people do ask for estimates, the less acceptance criteria you have, and the smaller the estimates, the more accurate you're going to be Mm -hmm. in general. It's hard to think, oh, that's, that's two weeks, right? Compared to, Mm -hmm. I
1: can do that in an hour. So so does that put uh, a lot of the responsibility then on, you know, the project lead, the product owner, et cetera, the customer, whoever it is, um, on, making those acceptance criteria really tight and focused? I think it's everybody on the team's responsibility, mm-hmm. really. So, you know, a lot
0: of times things come in from customers and you might have analysts that work on it and try to try to tease out different things. Um, and I think this is actually where epics versus stories come in. Mm-hmm. and And you have, like, the larger epic that says these are all the things that we need to do under it. And then those stories at each level that it comes through people should think about is the are are all these acceptance criteria is this it can any of these be made smaller should they be made smaller is this really one cuz there's some some stuff where the acceptance criteria you're given seems like one acceptance criteria uh a user can create an account oh really <laughs> uh do they have a password that does that oh, include yeah. does that okay. include an email confirmation does that include you know like how they're going to log in like there's all kinds of things that that go mm-hmm. into someone being able to create an account and to me that would be at that epic level and we start to split that up into what the individual acceptance criteria are and sometimes the first one is again takes a lot because there's that needs to get but, but then the rest of them fly by. And you can parallel that work after that first one. You can typically, multiple people can, can work on individual pieces of this acceptance criteria instead of putting it on one group working on one ticket, right? Mm-hmm. And, whenever you, and you give the opportunity for people to prioritize in that really small manner. Which often actually leads to some of those acceptance criteria ending up being thrown out. Because Mm. somebody will see a working system with three of the six acceptance criteria and they'll go, you know what? This is perfect. We don't need more right now. Because we have these other four things that are way cooler than password validation (laughs) that we're going to work on. And we don't need password confirmation anyway because we're getting ready to email them. Mm -hmm. And you've already done that part, so... Let's just not even implement confirmation. And I know everybody out there is like, but confirmation is really easy. Yeah, I know it is. But whatever, you save 30 minutes of everybody's time testing it. And like <laughs> across the entire board of getting that delivered, you save an hour that you get to go work on something really cool, like changing anonymous functions into data structures. That you can optimize. That's another talk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a Little's Law thing.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> or Little's Law problems. You can you can work on big problems instead of mm-hmm. password confirmation. Or the biggest here, I, 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 this is always my example is password confirmation and password reset. Like once I have password mm-hmm. reset, I don't need confirmation. Yeah, yeah. As I've confirmed your email address which if I didn't do that and you have the wrong email, you're probably not going to type it right again anyway. And if you typed your password wrong, reset it. Cool. We've got our email system up. We've got our person logging in and we have a way for them to fix their password when they forget to write it down on that sticky note on their monitor at work.
1: (laughs) The best password manager ever.
0: (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Especially if you work in a bank. Just letting you guys know, if you work in a bank, write your password on sticky notes. Cool. And then let us know where you work.
1: <laughs> so uh, what else should we talk about with Little's Law? I mean, other than, gosh, now you're probably uh, going to see it everywhere. Like in your real life, in addition to just software, you're going to see all oh, the crazy. cues everywhere. It's crazy. I, I The
0: Wikipedia example, um, I think, is something like, number of people in a grocery store. Mm-hmm. Something like that. It's like if if they arrive at 5 people per minute and they spend 30 minutes in there on average, mm-hmm. this is how many people are in the store and you're like, "Oh, holy cow, that's that's awesome. So that's how big the store needs to be in order to stay within fire code.
1: Otherwise, they got to have people wait outside like an Apple store." You know, <laughs> I just remembered something uh, from my undergrad uh, that gosh, I wish I knew little's law at that time. Uh, because uh, we had a programming project which was to simulate um, a bank you know people coming into a bank and queuing up for the the teller and the problem was well we're you 're going to randomly distribute like a uniform distribution across a particular range of arrival times and a range of service times, and you have to figure out how many tellers do I need to keep. You know, to, to prevent the the queue depths from going beyond some level, and you could have computed this without running the simulation. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that now that I now that I know Little's Law, I'd be like, yeah, I'll solve that in ten minutes. I'm not going to spend all weekend writing that programming project. Well, that's how he checked everybody's answers. Probably.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that would be awesome. I don't know. I've done although you you like that's actually an interesting thing to do too is to write a little simulation like that mm-hmm. and see if little's law applies. Yeah, validate. Like if, you, if you're not sure, just just check it out. I, I did that with the uh Mati Hall problem. <laughs> I wrote a program one time <laughs> to to do the Monty Hall problem and, and spit numbers out and I had it work with knowing that that door and eliminating it or not knowing mm-hmm. and eliminating and what, what, what would happen to the statistics. And, and it proved it to me because it was so weird to me that. The oh yeah. Money hole problem worked that way.
1: The gambler's fallacy, basically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's not explain
1: the money hole problem. Let's mm-hmm. just let people go with it. <laughs> if you, if you know what, let's see what's behind door number two is, then you know the money hole problem. That's right. That's right.
0: There were some other, Oh, the prisoner's dilemma. Mm -hmm. I'm just—I got sidetracked here. Now, now I'm onto like these weird things. But the prisoner's dilemma—you know what that is? Why don't you explain it for our listeners? Okay, so um, Sean and I have been bad boys, (laughs) always, (laughs) and the the police found out, and they put us both in separate rooms, and they say, "All right, we're going to ask both of you if you if you did it right, and if you both." Admit to doing it, you're going to spend five years in prison. If one of you, if you both say, no, you didn't do it, I don't remember this exactly. Do you remember? It?
1: Dang, this can Tell be a bad explanation there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but it has it has to do with the odds of like what what you think the other person would say. Right, right. So it's it is like if you both admit to it you're going to spend
0: 5 years. If you both say no you're going to spend 7 years, I don't know. And if one of you says yes and the other one says no, the person who says who who admits to it we're going to let go free and the other person we're going to put in jail for 20 years or whatever, something mm-hmm. like that. So In reality, they had a game show in England called Golden Balls, I think, Mm. or something like that. And it was the Prisoner's Dilemma. And this whole game was like, there's an amount of money if you can choose to share. Um, So I guess this is more like Pirate's Dilemma. (laughs) (laughs) But if you choose to share, if both people choose to share, you split the money. Mm -hmm. If... Or you can steal if both people steal, nobody gets the money. But if one person steals and the other person shares, the person who steals gets all of the money, and the person who shares gets no money. So the whole premise of this TV show is they put two people down and they they those two people get to talk to each other, and' they're, mm-hmm. like, they're always like oh i'm gonna I'm gonna share. I promise you I'll share." And most of the time, they don't both share. Some t- a lot of times, they both don't go home with money. Mm-hmm. There was a school teacher, and I can't remember his name, who went on the show. And he said, I'm going to steal. And the other guy's like, what do you mean you're going to steal? He's like, no, look, okay. I'm going to write steal. And then I'm going to split the money with you <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> so if you write steal, we both go home with nothing. Mm-hmm. If you write share, I'm going to split the money with you. And the guy's like, well, how can I believe you? And he's like, "Yeah, it's the only choice you get because I'm writing steel. <laughs> so he, he like came up with the ultimate strategy for the game. So he ended up the other guy writes share and he actually wrote share on his also. So that it got split. But it was really like how he like figured out how to convince the other guy to write share. He, he played a meta game. Yeah yeah he's yeah, yeah. like you get you get nothing <laughs> if you write steel and I get nothing too, so whatever but it was it was pretty amazing
1: <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah so so we we kind of kind of left little's law behind there there were There were no cues in that problem <laughs> no no but, there there was more there was more like two generals problem uh, <laughs> oh, who was that? That uh,
0: wrote that is writing that book.
1: Oh, oh that man. has the diagram of the two generals problem? Yeah.
0: Yeah. What is his name?
1: Uh, I've forgotten. But when it comes out, you should go get it and read it.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, I found the picture. Now let's see if it goes to the article. Yes. Seth Brown. Seth Brown. Seth Brown. Uh, What's the title of the book? I have no idea. I found an article about the two generals problem, and he wrote it. Uh, let me see if it says "Computer Networks from Scratch." It's a free book. Cool. So you can get it online. Just Google for it. It might make it into the show notes if you're lucky. <laughs> oh, I'm 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 excited. Um, you know, we talked about Strange Loop and this next yeah. week is Strange Loop. So this won't even be out. So if you haven't got your tickets, too bad. It's the last Strange Loop. You missed it. Sorry. Um but yeah, I'm I'm really excited about going back. Maybe there will be another
1: talk like that, little Saul talk that'll just change my world. I hope so. I have a lot of regrets um about not going, but I also have a lot of regrets about the existence of the pandemic. So yeah have a good time <laughs>
0: <laughs> well we'll see we'll see how i how i
1: fare uh I never know <laughs> yeah um it it's it's the end of an era it was a really influential conference for so long mm-hmm. um and uh and like honestly i you know it, it's it's kind of trite at this point first somebody who lives in Kansas city to rag on St. Louis, but um, it's, <laughs> it's like a compelling reason to go to St. Louis that um, I probably won't have anymore. Um, I like the food in St. Louis
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> sauce on the side. That's where I go.
0: Yeah. You know, Al. let's see. I, I, I think that we should just go ahead and say this out loud, like because it's it's been what ten ten years? It's been more than ten years. That they've been it's been over ten thing. years. Yeah. Wow, I helped out with the the website one year. Um, mm-hmm. Got to work with some of those people and and um spent a lot of time around them. So just you know, Alex Miller started it all. Ryan Senior, Mario Aquino, Nico and uh, Crystal Martin. You know, I just all of you, thank you for the hard work that you put in over the years. You've, you've definitely influenced a whole lot of developers um, and probably a whole lot of conference organizers over the years and um, had some of the most interesting and most out there talks of mm-hmm. just about any conference I've ever been to. And I will also never forget beating Gerald Sussman with my team. Uh, in nerd trivia and getting uh, (laughs) uh, uh, a a flask from them. Um, I forget what that's called. Uh, The infinite. The Klein bottle? Klein bottle. Thank you. Klein Klein bottle. That was also made by uh, a mathematician guy that I can't think of his name either, but whatever. I still beat Gerald Sussman (laughs) with the team, with a team of people. I was not alone. I was not alone, but Gerald, I think, had his wife there, so he had he had a pretty good team going too. Mm-hmm. They're they're two very smart and wonderful people, and and uh, laughed at us whenever we were drinking lots of beer and answering questions with the table next to him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you mentioned the uh, it's setting the standard for for so many other conference organizers to follow. I say not just on the content. Uh, I think the way that it was run. Um, even with the growing challenges that it had over the years, sometimes actually frequently recently being split between two venues because it was Mm -hmm. so big. Um, But like the, the commitment to um, you know, a strong code of conduct, the make making uh, attendees feel welcome in so many ways. Um, The, there was some hit and miss Food options, but in general, like just everybody had plenty of plenty of coffee and food and mm-hmm. water. You know the cucumber water. <laughs> never forget. Um, yep. Like have, having having all of that available, and and then just you know the the spaces being really great for for hallway track too. I think they just hit so many high notes. They offered speakers help.
0: Yeah. And feedback on on. Their talks, if they wanted it, it wasn't
1: required, but you could utilize it if you wanted. They they might have been one of the first conferences to implement double blind on their CFP, which is really important for diversity and also just getting interesting topics. Like it's it's so easy to become biased just by oh somebody's name is on it who you know yep, yep. or who who is famous, um, and not having that gets you a really really interesting program. They' yeah it's pretty
0: pretty wide breadth of of things to that that they talk about
1: and and I think that's what always made it really great yeah and and always cutting edge topics mixture of academics and practitioners and uh, it's the keynotes, my goodness the keynotes I, I I can't I can't even remember all of them but like so many of them were just fantastic, especially the closing keynotes. Mm-hmm. They were the usually some, oh my god, that's and, amazing. Yeah, and um, um, uh, what's his face from Mythbusters? I, I, I was going to say the same thing. What's yeah. his face from Mythbusters? <laughs> um, and and yeah, and it just not goes Jamie, on and on. the other guy. <laughs> yeah, the other guy.
0: <laughs> oh, it's
1: <that's> so bad. <laughs> Douglas Hofstetter. Douglas Hofstetter. Yep.
0: Was there that who coined strange loop? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting that they would bring in all these keynotes from the outside of the community, which I think is what every community needs. We need keynotes that come from people, sometimes not programmers, right? Like, but definitely outside of our wheelhouses. That's what makes a a, a really quality keynote, in my Mm -hmm. opinion.
1: So, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Alex, and everyone who worked on Strange Loop. Yep. We're very we'll grateful. miss you. We'll miss you.
0: <laughs> all right. On that case, I should go pack my bags. Yeah, safe travels. Hey, thank you. I'm going to drive up there tomorrow, uh, probably after lunch. And um, tonight, I'm going to go get some food and make sure I have all my stuff together. Thanks, Sounds Sean. Sounds good.
1: Yeah. See you next time. See
0: ya. Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community.